This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via other participating restaurants, 18 plus rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and time supply, see mcdonalds.com. Well, joining me for another of the Forever Bristol City podcast uh, mid-season reviews of the 21-22 season is uh, local media pundit, well-known to Bristol City fans, Richard Latham. Richard, uh, coming up to Christmas, are you all geared for the festivities? Just about, I think, Dave. It's uh, going to be a bit different for me this year. I think for the first time in my um, whole career uh, of a journalist, I've got Boxing Day off because Bristol Rovers game has been cancelled and I cover Bristol City and Bristol Rovers. These are home games I've done for years. And COVID's interfered with their game against Sutton United, so I've got Boxing Day off, so I'm looking forward to that. Oh, well, that'll be, uh, that'll be something nice. I mean, not many people know that, as the phrase goes, but back in the 80s, you and I used to cover uh, City. I was doing it for Radio West or GWR, and you were uh, in your long period with the Post back then, but... Uh, when I phoned you the other day to fix this up, I said, are you still enjoying the Olympic breakfast and the Jubilee pancakes? That used to be a thing of ours on match days, the years after we got uh, chucked off the team coach. But uh, you still, have you had a Jubilee pancake recently? Yeah, like the little chefs we used to stop at. And um, that, yeah, that is a great memory. I, I travelled with the team for four, for, no, 11 years, um, from the time Terry Cooper was manager through to uh, after Dennis Smith was manager. And in fact, I never got thrown off. I, I, I quit the post. And when I quit the post, um, I was still travelling on the coach. And, and from then on, they virtually stopped okay. it. So um, it sounds ridiculous now that a journalist can't, uh, actually travelled on the team coach, but that's what I did. And um, uh, so from 82, when I took over City full time uh, till 93... Uh, every away game, I, uh, you know, if I if if I could get on the team coach, although it wasn't an overnight stop or whatever, you know, I used to travel with the team. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right there. Nobody got chucked off. It was mainly overnight stops, and uh, we we did that a few times together. Uh, I know. I don't think I ever roomed with you. I did room with no. We did once away game at Newcastle. It must have been about ninety one when we stayed at the, some hotel and we were watching Sky Sky Sport, and it had only just started. And I think I rather stupidly went down the gym for about half an hour. So, no, they were good. They were good days, and maybe we can uh, talk about good days in a separate episode. But the uh, the reason for the the chat today is it's halfway through twenty one twenty two season. Here are City half the season gone, twenty seven points on the board. Um, 
what we'd expect. I mean, if we'd have beaten Huddersfield, we'd have been on 30 and things would have looked bright. But what, what, what do you think of City's season so far? A uh, li- little bit as I expected. I think possibly a little bit better than I expected because at the end of last season, I thought they were quite clearly the worst team in the Championship. Uh, you know, the results were terrible. The home record was appalling. Um, and when it started this season, the home, first home game was against Blackpool and that was OK, better. Uh, and I think they conceded late on and they, they did that then in two two other home games, at least, uh, to drop points. And it took ages to get that monkey off the back of, of winning at home. And that was, you know, got more and more difficult with each each time they didn't win. Um, you can't do well in a league if you haven't got a good home record. I don't care how good you, you are. You ain't going to do it by winning away every week. And in the competitive league like the championship, then there's no chance of you doing that. So they had to sort out the home form, which they've done to an extent. Um, but to be honest, the squad that Nigel Pearson took on, um, I don't think is good enough. And, and until he's had the chance to improve it, and we don't know yet whether that will happen because I don't think the club's finances are in a great state. No. Uh, uh, he certainly won't be able to improve it significantly with major signings or big money signings, that's for sure. Um, but if he can improve it with the odd signing in January, then I think they'll be okay. And, and really, I'd settle right from the start of the season. I'd settle for being in the Championship again next year because you've got to progress slowly. You've got to remember that they kept selling their best players every summer uh, when Lee Johnson was manager. You know, you can think of a summer where they sold Bobby Reed and they sold Joe Bryan and they sold Aidan Flint. That was all in one summer. Uh, more recently, they they, 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 they got rid of um, Lloyd Kelly, well, not got rid of it, sold Lloyd, Lloyd Kelly and Adam Webster. Were the and, Adam Webster and then Josh Brownhill in December. So, yeah. you know, you cannot in the championship keep doing that and hope you're going to survive. And you're all, all, often replacing them with lesser players for lesser money. And that's what the story of Bristol City is from the time, really, when they beat Manchester United in the League Cup and beat, and ran Manchester City close in the semi-final, when we had an exciting team um, and everyone praised Lee for his tactics in those games and everything, and everything seemed to be going well. But he's not he wasn't a magician, and I, I kept thinking every time they sold someone, I mean, for, for example, Lloyd Kelly, so he's not played very much, so he's, he's one of the academy products and you, uh, that we, we say, if we're going to ever do well at Bristol City, you've got to get the academy products playing. Mm. As soon as he does well, he gets sold. So that's one thing. To then sell Adam Webster, who's a similar position, who was the previous year's player of the year, that yeah. same summer, having got 13 million for, for, for Lloyd Kelly, I didn't think they needed to sell Adam Webster. But then if a player, surely, Richard, if a player gets tapped up, and it, it's, it's ironic that we're holding this conversation the week of the, uh, uh, the, the four years ago this week, a famous win over Man United and then beating Forrest on Boxing Day, you're right. We were riding high. But if you look at Brian Flint and Bobby Reed that summer, all three players wanted away. They were in the public eye. They had their heads turned. And even with... So where did they go, Dave? They didn't go to Manchester United or Liverpool. So yeah. if we're selling players to Brighton, then over my time covering Bristol City, Brighton and Bristol City are comparable clubs. You know, Southampton's a comparable club. You know, uh, they're not clubs that, so these guys are going, oh, I must leave Bristol City. To, if they are, if they're thinking that leaving Bristol City to join Brighton is a step forward, then we're in big trouble. Because um, as, until Bristol City start persuading some of these players that there is a future and a Premier League possibility at Ashlingate, and we were building towards that, you cannot keep selling your best players. You sold, yeah. so you, you sold Aidan Flint, who was, who was a goal-scoring centre-back, um, you know, got 15 goals in one season, I know in the lower division, but for Steve Cottrell, that's another team that we're doing so well. And Steve Cottrell wanted to sign one striker for, say, eight or nine million. And he Which was Andre Gray or Dwight Gale. And Dwight Gale, absolutely. So he mentioned those two. The board got frightened to death. 
few few years later, we're paying that sort of money for Han Noah Masengo, you know, in, in midfield. Yeah. And, and you th- and you think, what well, what you know, if he, if they added when they were winning, you know, then then. But that- you see, this is the thing. Isn't this the thing though? Because again, the the other mid-season reviews, we've talked about recruitment, and this is fundamentally the problem. We are where we are. But then you look at Steve Lansdowne, and you know, he's he's funded he's funded losses. Never mind the infrastructure. He's funded losses over the last 18 years or so that he's been chairman that, you know, 200 million probably. It's going to be 35 million for the results that are just about to come out. There's no, no, no doubt about that. So why is it happening? He's putting the money in and some people have achieved a lot more with less. If you look at Harlan and Cardiff, both have had two seasons in the Premier League. OK, they've come straight back down relatively quickly since 2008. What is it? I mean, what is it about us that we don't seem to go through that gate of success? Well, the recruitment hasn't been good enough. That's the simple answer. And also, we're, the manager is usually required to spend less than he's brought in and to sign players in the championship. Now, talk about a, a championship striker. People are saying, I'd sign a championship striker. They paid 5.3 million for Jeju, and he divided opinions, but he got more goals than anybody else did during his time at, yeah. at Ashton Gate. And what do you get for 5.3 million? You get a Jeju. If you're going to go better than that, you've got to start spending 15 million or 20 million in the championship these days, you know, to get a proper championship goals, proven goal scorer, you know, unless you're pulling one out of the lower leagues and that you're taking a chance on. So Bristol City are no longer in that position. The problem with Steve Lansdowne's um, writing off all the debts is you can't do that anymore. These financial fair player rules, rules now in demand that clubs are run properly and Bristol City will run foul of them I promise you at some point they will run foul of that because you cannot keep um, uh, buying players as they have done recently and not selling and when the debts were already 10 and 12 million a year as you Mm. say it's more likely to be 30 million this year you cannot do that anymore so if it's 30 million then somewhere along the line that the questions are going to be asked about how the club's being run financially and you cannot in the end say we've got somebody who'll bung the money in and, and save us because that doesn't work anymore you've got to stick within the turnover rules of the fair, financial fair play but when you look at when you look at the league table as it stands at the halfway stage and it's clearly you know you've got uh, Bournemouth Fulham and West Brom all towards the top all funny enough faltering a little bit but then there's a glut of clubs, probably you could take another 12 clubs then in that next bracket, that some of them have got residual parachute payments. But let's take two clubs as examples, Luton and Millwall, and dare I say it, QPR, that are all up, they all get less gates than we've got. They haven't got owners with bottomless pockets, yet they're all doing ostensibly better than we are you know they're sustainable you know they couldn't they couldn't exist with the losses that but will any of them reach the premier league i would doubt that the trouble with these parachute payments is they give the people involved the clubs involved a huge start every season so you're going to get more and more yo-yo clubs you're going to get more norwich cities you're going to get more west brom you're going to get more fulhams up one season down the next back up the next season boring as hell um, because they start off with these massive parachute payments, which I totally disagree with. And I know people at Bristol City disagree with as well, and so, so they should, because it gives everybody else a massive advantage. Always you're going to get clubs who overperform. Look at Burton Albion, you know, that, that got to League One and, 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 and then hired and a little flirted with the championship for a while. You know, that was magnificent for that, that club, and you could still get that, but you don't get it often. You know, back in our day, everybody could dream of being in the first division. Yeah. You know, I don't care who you were and um, where you were in the league. It's like Bristol Rovers now. Take Bristol Rovers. 
They haven't got a cat in house chance of reaching the Premier League. They hardly got any chance at all of reaching the Championship mm. because they are now stuck in League Two. The money they pay is low. Um, they get the gates and they've got the support, but they 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 haven't got the infrastructure or whatever to, to or a training ground or any of the advantages Bristol City have now got thanks to Steve Lansdowne. So they have got no chance, and, and that takes a load of the romance out of football. I, I don't like it. I think uh, you know clubs should have a every club should have a reasonable chance of progression. When you talk about Bristol City, yes, recruitment hasn't been good enough, but if you look at the money that's come in to, to what they've spent. How much yeah. did Wines cost? Two million, something like that. So you're yeah. spending two million on a striker. You're not going to get a championship regular goal scorer. I mean, but, nine, nine goals. But one one thing that we've said uh, on, on the podcast on occasion, um, it is wages and Bristol City. It's clubs in the bag. You know, a phrase that both Lee and Gary use. Clubs in the bag. It's almost as if we go out and we'll sign six players at ten grand a week rather than three players at 20 grand a week who make the difference. And the person who's controlling the purse strings at the top there is Steve Lansdowne, you know, and this wage thing, you said about getting a Dijou, that's what you get for 5 million, but it's like if you buy a BMW, it costs more to service a BMW than it does to service a Mini. You know, is that the disconnect? And you talk about clubs and the, the, the lack of ability to progress. You look at Bournemouth, I mean, less than 10 years ago, they were in League Two and they were bold one year. They put money in and they bought success and they got there and they stayed there for five years on gates, two thirds, a third less than what we get, more than a third, probably about a half less. So has, has Steve, he's tried to be sustainable but he's not gone for it one season. And as we say, that 2017-18 season or 18-19, both those seasons, we had a chance and we weren't bold in the window, maybe, just like we weren't in 2008 when Hull signed Fraser Campbell and we signed um, Dele Adebola, you know, totally altered the way we played. Yeah, mm. have, have we been victims of our own downfall because we've not been bold? Well, there's a simple reason why you get six players at low prices rather than one is, is wages. If you sign a player for 15 million now or 20 million, he is going to be on twice the wages of anybody else at Ashton Gate. Yeah. And that is not good because sooner or later, the players who are there already, and if he, especially if he's not performing great, it goes back over many, many years. You know, they will they will know what he's on and they will start demanding the same. So Bristol's wage, wage budget will then go up and up and up. So you, you cannot suddenly put one person on 50 grand a week and have the rest on 20. And, and I mean, you're talking about 10. But these, there are players now on 20 grand a week, actually, mm. no question. Um, so sign with someone that's on 50 thousand a week and you start to get problems. So I, I know that's why, Steve, one of the reasons why they've gone along the road, route they have. But I keep going back to the fact that if you think that was bad, these financial fair play rules are going to make it even worse because they cannot, they will not go out in January, I promise you, and spend a lot of money. No. Because they can't. They're already um, facing problems with the financial fair yeah. play rules. And not this year, but next year, because it's a three-year cycle. The league haven't given everybody a year off because of well, COVID. So it's going to get worse before it gets better. But surely for other games, they will get a points penalty. 
It's as simple as that. You think 22-23, we're lining up for a points penalty at the end of it? I think it's very possible. And, and I think other clubs as well. I mean, now that it's happened to Derby and it's happened to Reading, um, you, they will be the tip of the iceberg because all, every club in the Championship has been gambling on trying to get to the promised land of the Premier League. You may say Bristol City haven't spent much, and they haven't. But look at a club like Nottingham Forest, who spent a fortune a couple of years ago. Yeah. Uh, and and I, I think probably they'll be examined soon. Uh, I'm not saying Bristol City are alone, but I am saying these financial fair play rules have changed everything. You cannot suddenly have one bloke who says, yeah, I'll put 50 million in and we'll spend a bit of that. It doesn't work that way anymore. You've got to be seen to run the club financially properly. And I don't think over recent years that's been the case for Bristol City. So there's got to be a fear that at some point some, some action will be taken against them. It's interesting you say, it's, you make a good point there, Rich. It's interesting you say about Lansdowne sort of chucking money in to pay off the losses, right, which you're not going to be able to do that. But you could, and clubs get very constructive. I mean, one there's a limit. I mean, we've lost money for so many years that, you know, you can only do these sort of things once. But you could rename the stadium something and he could charge, you know, he, well, he's not Hargreaves Lansdowne anymore, but he could say, it's now the Hargreaves Lansdowne Stadium and the sponsorship revenue for that is 20 million. I mean, he could have done that in the past because that's one way round it because that's that's income coming in, which is very different to writing off losses, isn't it? Yeah, and maybe we've got... then if you're talking 20 million. Yeah, I know, it's a drop in the ocean. There's a drop in the ocean. You know, things have gone so far one way that I, I, I just think financially... Bristol City at the moment have got to be very, very careful. And it would yeah. astonish me if in January the fans get a big money striker, which a lot of them are expecting. Well, I do, yeah, absolutely. I mean, let, let's talk a bit about... Uh, well, we'll come on the January transfer window in a minute. How effective do you think our recruitment was in the summer? Because we went out and Nigel signed seven. And how we get to seven is because I'm including Nathan Baker as a re-sign, probably at lower wages, and Andy Vyman. And then he brought in three people that he knew, Simpson, King and James, and then uh, Atkinson and Tanner. You would say they were good up-and-coming youngsters. It collectively cost two million, which in financial terms these days is quite a lot. Do you think that was money and wages well spent last uh, last in July? Some cases, in some cases, yes. In some cases, no. Mm. Um, Danny Simpson, to me, was uh, not the sort of signing I want to see at Bristol City. He's about 34 years old. And uh, I think fullback was a problem for City. I don't like the fullbacks they've got at the moment. I'm, I'm not counting Tanner because we haven't seen much of him. But I think they're weak at fullback. I don't think there's there's a, a good defenders amongst the fullbacks. So I think Nigel understood that very quickly. Tried to address it with somebody he knew. But how, how many games has Danny Simpson played? Uh, and, and, you know, a player of that experience, you're going to be paying him a reasonable amount of money. I think Matty James has been a good signing. I think he, he, sitting in front of the back four, he, he does a reasonable job. And again, he's at the experienced end. But then if you're going to, you know, managers have always got two priorities, you know, the, the, the long term, but really the short term that keeps them in the job. And, you know, Nigel's record, let's face it, is appalling. Well, he's lost 20 games out of the 38 uh, yeah. that he's had. Well, are, are there extenuating circumstances for that? Yes, there are, because he's tried to start changing things. And, I keep going back to, I'm not a manager sucker. I don't like it. Over all my years covering Bristol City, there's been far more damage done by sacking the manager than there has. How many people would now go back to Lee Johnson as manager and how things were going then? And yet, on social media, it's Johnson out, Johnson out, get him out, you know, all this sort of thing. And, you know, but but then you look down the line and if you look at the bigger picture over a, over a lot of years, you know, are we where, are we now where we were when he was managing? No, we're not. We're, no, well, we've gone back in the four years. We've gone back, and it's interesting you said about home form. I'm sure the view of the fans would be less 
I'll call it, if I think it's the right word, febrile, if the last four years away form had been seen at home, because most of City's performances in the last four years have been away from Ashton Gate. And it used to be, you know, if you go back in the 70s, 80s, even in the 90s, you know, you'd be guaranteed at home that we'd be a good home team and we'd be winning in a bad season, still win 12 at home, and in a half-decent season, even without promotion, 15. And well, that's why you've got to have your football right. You're, ne- you're never going to keep winning away. I- I've watched yeah. City many years, and there have been times when they've won away and not at home. What starts happening is you start losing away as well. You don't start winning at home all the time. And even now, we're seeing this transitional period. They've won a couple at home, fine, but then they lose to Huddersfield. You know, so they- They've now got a couple of home games coming up. At- well, they've got three very tough games coming yeah. up, Rich, because if and, you look at it, and- Luton away, sorry, Luton, yeah, Luton away, QPR home, Fulham away, I think, and then no, Millwall home, and then Fulham away. The next four league games. They've got they've got a couple of home games that they've got to try and make the most of because away from home, you are not going to beat the likes of Fulham. Uh, I don't, I don't, you know, or if you do once, you're not going to beat the next one that you, you yeah. face. But going back to the going back to the change in manager. Yeah, go on. Yeah, how, sorry, how yeah. the club's been run. How the club's been run. The most damning thing about the way the club's been run was the Lee Johnson situation when they got sacked Lee Johnson after within an hour of the match against Cardiff at Ashton Gate where they lost so it's like a knee-jerk reaction almost although social media have been demanding it for a long time so they get and you think right they must know what's next six weeks later they appoint his assistant yeah now you tell me so Dean Holden gets the job he knows he he wasn't the one they wanted because it's taken six weeks otherwise they'd have just said right Lee's going you take over Dean if they thought he was great so they they thought they were going to get Chris Hutton and something broke broke down there in the in, in the talks but to appoint the assistant six weeks yeah. later is is tra- well, it was criminal and I mean that's when we started this podcast in the run up to that and we just couldn't believe what had happened you know like he's a wonderful human being and look. I, 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 some people say we obsess about it on this podcast, but there's one person who's instrumental in all of this, or is he? And that is no longer here, but is Mark Ashton. Yeah. Now, do you think, and we've said this, but do you think Steve took his eye off the ball and with his son sort of there, Mark Ashton, who we think sort of feathered his nest to do with Ipswich a good year before he joined them anyway? Yeah. Do we think he's culpable or do you point the finger at um, at um, at Steve? Well, Steve and John, but father and son, because Ashton, you look at what's happening up at Ipswich at the moment. Right. And, you know, Ashton surrounds himself with easy touches. And it looks like he's done that with the appointment at Ipswich of their new manager, having dismissed Paul Cook, very much a knee jerk reaction. Do, do you do you point any finger of blame yourself at Mark Ashton? Well, Steve appointed him, and not only did Steve appoint him, he backed him all the way through. Even when he was starting to get criticised on social media, um, Steve still came out and said what hard work and he, he how a lot of hard work he's done. I had no time for the bloke whatsoever, so there's yeah. no point me, me commenting because no. I didn't look at him as a person, and I I, and I I don't think the job he did was was was, was particularly. But good. as you say, we ended up with Dean Holden, which six weeks down the line was an absolute disaster. One thing I do know, incidentally, is that the best best signing they've made at Bristol City in years is Richard Gould. I was going to say he's, he's a proper replaced Mark Ashton with Richard Gould. Yeah, the biggest step forward, Bristol City, yeah. and he's not going to want to get his finger in all the other pies. With he's all not one to the limelight. He'll do. He'll deal with things efficiently behind the scenes. I've worked with him first at Bristol City when he was uh, the commercial director, 
Uh, I've worked with him at Somerset Cricket Club when he when he was chief executive there. He was highly thought of at Surrey when he moved to Surrey Cricket Club, which is like the Manchester United of, of cricket. Yeah. You know, he's chief executive at the Oval. Masses of things were done. When he was chief executive at Somerset, the flats were built. They made more money in a year than, than they'd made in their whole history put together. And Richard was behind all that and had some, some success on the field as well. And he, given the chance, will start sorting things out. The trouble is what he's inherited is a very, very difficult financial situation and, yeah. and, and also a difficult management position because while I think the majority of fans want to give Nigel Pearson a chance, Nigel's health issues aren't helping. You know, well, exactly. That's we, a very good point. Exactly what they, are. they were well documented before he came here because it was in the media. He suffered and then he joined us. I, I don't think we've seen necessarily the real Nigel Pearson, although the last couple of games he's been more animated on the touchline, maybe he's got his mojo back. But when he joined, um, are, you, are you surprised that, well, they've gone now, but Downing and Simpson, they were strange appointments to come in under Holden, weren't they? No, yeah. no, I didn't think they were strange appointments. I think the reason they were appointed was Dean's inexperience. So they wanted two experienced coaches. I think that made some sort of logical sense. So you get you put the experience on the coaching side and they were going to help Dean Holden, who was who totally inexperienced as a, as, as a manager then you don't give that any time, you know? So even if you said now, where were we when Dean Holden left? We're not as bad, we're worse off now than when, when Dean yeah, Holden. He did all right, he won the first four. And every time the man, a new manager comes yeah. in, this is one of the problems they they want to bring their own staff in. So over a, whatever period of time it is, it's happened with Joey Barton at Rovers, you know, they gradually get rid of the coaches that were already there and bring in their own, their own men. And that happens. So, so you're not only sacking the manager every time you get rid of a manager, you, you're sack, you're basically saying, we'll change our whole uh, coaching staff again. Mm. And, and if you keep doing that, you cannot get any continuity and you keep changing the number of players every, every summer. I mean, Rovers have done it much more than City. Rovers have like signed 20 players in the summer. Um, and 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 you, you don't recognise the squad from one season to the next. City have done it sort of to the extent of five or six or seven. Mm. Um, and and I can understand that you've got to make changes. But if you keep on making wholesale changes, especially yeah. at the top, then you end up setting yourself back. But this is where social media does football such a discredit because the people that are willing to give the manager a chance don't go on it. And I always remember Terry Cooper used to say to me about the Evening Post. He used to say your letters page. It's ridiculous because he said there'll be four letters criticising me and you use them one after another. And it sounds like the whole fan base are against me. Yeah, and he was absolutely right because no one who was happy with him wrote in. You know, you don't write, you don't... On uh, Richard, you're 100% right because it's this, it's this era that we live in now of outrage and knee-jerk exactly. reaction to everything. Change, let, 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 let's look at the side that we've got at the moment. And you've made the comment about Nigel, you know, his record so far isn't great. There's no doubt about that. And, OK, if we'd have got a draw against Huddersfield, you'd say, well, at least the home form is right. And we've been accused on FBC podcast of knee-jerk reaction in the wake of each defeat. And when we have a defeat, we get almost double the number of people listening to the podcast because they want to hear people moaning about it. But take Huddersfield apart. The last six games uh, prior to Huddersfield, no, including Huddersfield, two wins, two draws, two defeats, right? So that's bang average at the end of the day is Nigel do you think Nigel because when you if you take on a job you've got a bag of tools you've got to make use of the tools that you've got and on Saturday against Huddersfield we have the situation where not only do we have um, young uh, Alex Scott playing at wing back but we also had uh, Eamon Benaroos when 
players available for selection were certainly De Silva and then Pring, so it's been reported, said the day before, he didn't feel ready. Yeah. What is, is, is Nigel trying to make some sort of statement that, you know, he needs to get players out and he needs to bring additional players in by playing players so far out of position? It beggars belief. He's not really helping himself. Well, you see, it started off like that because last season had a points cushion when he took over. They, they weren't going to go down. OK, so so he could afford to play young players. And, and it was, I think, the right way forward. He wanted to see how good they were and all that sort of thing. Um, they survived comfortably enough. And, and we saw young players come in, come into the team. Mm. OK, I think still I keep going back to this weakness at fullback. He's still trying to find a system that covers that weakness at fullback. Uh, and if, you, if you're talking about Alex Scott playing at wing back, Scott Murray used to say to me, wing back is the hardest position to play mm. because one minute you expect to be up getting crosses in and the next minute you're meant to be back, you're meant to be back helping mm. the defence and, and, and doing that. And I thought all season City have been vulnerable down the flanks at home. If, you, if the play is going on down the left, you will look down on the pitch and you will see the right winger of the other team absolutely in 20, 30 yards of space, not being marked. The, the play will be transferred and suddenly he's running at either the fullback or the centre-backs. And, and if, if you give a chance, player a chance to run at you, then you're giving him a better chance of going past you, quite obviously. And I think Nigel's been struggling to find it. And you've got to remember that every time Nathan Baker plays two games, he gets injured. And, and so you, you feel for the manager in, in as much as he can't get a settled back three. I mean, he probably would like Callas Atkinson Baker, I would have thought, as his, as his back three. But... That you, you, you're not going to get that if, if somebody goes down. I mean, Nathan gets so many head injuries, and it's yeah. very unfortunate for the bloke, you know. But it, but it, you cannot keep a settled. Well, side. you look at the Bristol City side with Nathan Baker and dare I say Joe Williams. Based on what we've seen him capable of doing so far, it starts to look quite good. But you're and, and as you say, Callas Baker and Atkinson as a three. But even without Baker, could he not? play a more recognised back four. And if you look at fullbacks, again, available for selection on Saturday, if you played a back four, Zach Viner can play at fullback. I mean, as we said on a podcast the other day, I said with Gregor, Zach Viner is what in old money we call a good utility player because he can play fullback, he can play centre and he can play in midfield. But he's not good enough to be a first choice in any of those positions. But on Saturday, you have Viner, Tanner and Simpson who are all right backs. And if Simpson's legs hadn't gone, you know, surely he's fit enough that you could get half a game out of him. And then you could have played a flat back four without having some of the square pegs in round holes as people level at it. You know, do, 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 do you think... Well, you I, say, agree you. I agree with you. Players can play there, but they can't play well enough there. That's my view. I don't think we've got anybody at fullback who can play well enough. That's my personal... Yeah. I think defensively, they're all suspect. I think the, some of them flatter to deceive going forward, and and yeah. I've always thought fullbacks' first job is to defend. And you get you get fullbacks who make their name and and um, become big money players through through their attacking skills. Joe Bryan was one who, who who did so well going forward and got, got great crosses in, scored goals, you know. And he was always going to be worth worth a lot of money. But unless you're doing that, how many goals has Jay De Silva got? I mean, you know. So if he bombs forward, let, let, let's see a goal. Well, we've seen we've ball. seen nothing. <laughs> when we signed Jay De Silva, we were expecting to see a player in the mould of Danny Rose, who honestly didn't flatter to deceive here. But that's that marauding, small physical stature, and I think the ball. I think he's too short to play in the back anyway. How many goals does he score? How many assists has he got? Yeah, none. Well, and if you're going to talk about goals and assists, what's your view on? Hanoa Masengo, who's very well liked by the fans, but 
What is yeah. it? I like by the fans. Um, but I stick, stick to fullback and most. Steph Sessignon, any better? No, I don't think so. Uh, Tanner is is progressive. So I, I was hoping when he got in the team, he would kick on. But he's a young player who needs to be used probably sparingly. And Nigel, Nigel realised that. He's the only one of our so-called fullbacks, and I include Viner in this, that I think um, has got a chance of, of nailing down a position and being there for a long time because the others simply to me aren't good defenders. I don't care where they play, they just aren't, aren't very good. In- uh, and you're including yeah. Atkinson in that as well, then? Yes. Uh, Atkinson, no, I'm, I'm, Atkinson's the centre back in my view, so I, I, I don't include him among the fullback. Yeah. I yeah. don't know with him yet. I think and we don't know enough about game. this uh, Robbie Cundy either, do we? Because he's another one who's been injured wow. all the season. I mean, can't go by the ones we never win. Do you think do you think Jada Silva and uh, Casey Palmer will play a game for Bristol City? I mean you talk about was Nigel making a point. He, he actually said it after a game with somebody asked why Casey Palmer was playing and he said, well, um they've been training all week. Um, you know, he didn't play whoever it was Alex Scott did or whatever. Read your own conclusion. Yeah, and somebody said to me the other day that Palmer and De Silva are both Training with the under 23s. I don't know how much truth. I don't, well, I don't. I don't know anything about that. All I'm just giving you is my yeah. opinion on them as yeah. players. And I think Casey Palmer flatters to deceive and is not good defensively. And one of the problems they've got in, in midfield is they haven't got a Corey Smith. And if you had a Corey Smith, or you know, going back to our time, Jerry Gowan and somebody like that, they haven't got a midfield ball winner. And I think like Tyreek Bakinson's at the young age and everything, but he's big but he's he's weak to me you know he's, he's physically weak so you haven't got a physical presence in midfield unless you count Matty James who plays just in front of the back four King we haven't seen much of again uh, and I mean the, the injury record last season was so ridiculous it was untrue so I think they've done well in changing that they changed the medical oh getting uh, Dave Rennie yeah I've never known 15 players out at the same time and no. a lot with long-term injuries in all my time covering the club so that had to be changed and Nigel's addressed that um, going back to, to Nigel I, I, the, the key thing is he's got to keep the fans on his side and as long as enough of them are on his side and I think because they look at his record and he got Leicester he did the job at Leicester that Bristol City weren't doing Uh, he's still thought of very highly for that I keep going back to if he were left who do you go to then you will get the same list of of applicants what I call second class applicants either young managers who've never done it before or the likes of Paul Cook or you know all all these ones that City fans will look at and say oh no you know, when, when it was or a foreigner. Time. So it's a project. It is a three-year project. So well, that's a... always talk about Stephen. Ger- you know, last time Stephen Gerrard might come. What? You know, yeah. it's the same every time a city manager goes. Oh, some big name is going to take it. No big no, name. No, 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 no. The no, only thing not... that would take it now, outside of Nigel Pearson, I think, is Neil Warnock because he's at the age the age he is, and he'd probably take it on a on a short term basis. Well, and that's what we were saying prior to that little run I mean, of fixtures where we. I'd absolutely to re- we had that run of five defeats, I think it was in November, and then he, well, his name was I've being mentioned because we were facing relegation. He's a fantastic and... job as manager at, at Ashton Gate. I think he's he's done well everywhere he goes. The fans of opposition clubs hate him, but the fans of his own clubs love him. And I'm a big Neil Warnock fan. And you look at his yeah. record of getting sides out of the championship, it's unbelievably good. So yeah. I would be happy with him short-term, long-term, if... Nigel Pearson left, but there's no no suggestion at the moment he will. If he does, it's probably because, it will be because of his health more than anything else. He's yeah. got to be given a chance, like everybody else, and so few are, to actually have time in the job to make a difference. Yeah. Let's look at the forwards we've got at Ashton Gate now, uh, Rich. And Andy Vyman, now it's interesting. He's got nine goals and four assists now. Um, Chris Honour, I think, was saying on one of these pieces that we did, and maybe Gregor as well. He, you know... He, I say he flatters to deceive. He's never controlled in possession and his goal scoring and his assists 
you'd say, well, he's the best player we've got at the moment. So I'm going to park Andy Vyman. Um, this insistence on, absolute insistence on playing Chris Martin, who's absolutely out on his feet. You know, he's, he's just turned 30, I think. Um, but he's played all bar about 20 minutes of the season. When you've got other players on the bench, I mean, um, Nigel said Louis Britton wasn't fit enough, so he's gone off to prove himself at Woking. But you've got Naki Wells. Good to see Semenyo coming through. And we talk about formations, and you say he's still not found it yet. But we could be more compact with a 4-5-1, yeah? Um, what, what, why are we not playing Wells and Vyman? He brought Tommy Conway into the squad at the weekend. Why not give Tommy a run for the last 20 minutes, who's got pace? You know, he scored a couple of league goals, I think. Why flog Chris Martin to death? Because uh, Chris Martin plays with his back to goal. No, none of the others do. And it's a vastly different job. If you play 4-5-1, you've got to play Chris Martin. Absolutely. And, and, set, and absolute 100%. Because if the ball's played up to him, he's got his back to goal. He's going to either flick it on or he's going to get it under control. So then you can't play that position. Naki no. Wells can't play that position. So one up front, you've got, you have to play Martin. Play two up front. Yes, you could go back to the old Glyn Riley, Steve Neville days and have two small ones. But Naki Wells has been a huge disappointment. I mean, when we signed him, I was really pleased because against City, he's been brilliant. And I've seen him score great goals. But no, not for me. Um, Andy Wyman, I like very much. Yeah. I think he gives everything for the team every week, and, and that that makes him a, a, a top player. You know, so um, uh, in my view, that's um, that's a really, really good, really good man to have in your team. But you want the right person alongside him, and that's what they're going to be looking for in January, but at a at a, at a reasonable price. <laughs> but no, this is it. This is it. Now, this is this is the point here. Looking in Jan, yeah, because we're, okay, can we can, no. we can we stop there a minute? Can you just stop there a second? Yeah, I've, I've got someone at the door, so I need to. Yeah, sure. Pause. Just bear with me. There we go. Yeah, you were set, we were just talking then about um, Chris Martin, and he's the only one that can play um, the way Nigel seems to be playing at the moment. Which is, are you saying we're playing long ball then? Yeah, because that. I, th I think when you're a limited team, you have to play long ball. I'm not against long ball tactics. I'm against. I want tactics that's, that are effective. And if you've got a big centre forward, you play you play long balls. Right. As far as I'm concerned. Get so, what would your view? What would your view be? then on this kiddie that's been oft mentioned at Rotherham. Yeah, because I spoke to a Rotherham fan. This is the one we could have had in the summer. He's just coming up 30 or just turned 30. I think, I can't remember his name now. But, you know, he's with Rotherham. Why would he leave Rotherham and come to us? Okay, we're in the championship. But he's going to cost probably a fee in a depressed market, 800 grand. And he's probably going to be on, I'll say 10 grand a week to give him an uplift. But is he going to be... It's always getting players in that are better than what we've got. And, you know, the Rotherham fan said to me, he said he's OK, but he's not championship player. And that's the market that we're in. So how are we going to get a striker with the spectre of FFP looming above us? Yeah, Do we just muddle through this season and wait until the summer when a lot of clubs are going to be in bigger shit than we are now? Well, I don't like January signings, full stop. You don't get value for money in January, ever. It's, it's panic signings normally by a club in trouble uh, and, and the best clubs doing well don't want to sell their players. So they're going to put a high price on him. So uh, I don't know how good this lad is um, and I'm not going to pass judgment on him. But I, what I'm saying to you is it's probably that or nothing. And that's the only choice is you are not going to get a Bristol playing even five million for a player this January. No, no. way. Um, no, so no. if he's £800,000 and he can come in and he's, he's confident because he's scoring goals and he can get him, then 
uh, yes, maybe it'd be, it'd be a good move, but um, I would prefer to wait for the summer. Um, the only worry is, you know, you've got, okay, you've got Derby are out of it. Um, you've got, you know, Reading have had points penalties. You've got Peterborough down there, but Peterborough win every now and again. They're about eight points behind the city. That's all, you know, that's yep. a great deal. I mean, it is when you're not winning very often, but, you know, you've still got to keep an eye on the ball that we're not safe yet. You know, you, you've got to, Bear that in mind, you know, the, obviously relegation would be an absolute disaster. So you've got to make sure that doesn't happen. I think they're good enough to ensure that doesn't happen from the position they're in. Mm. But I wouldn't expect much more than that. And the fans aren't going to like that because the fans always want us to be pressing for the top six. But we were under Lee Johnson. So why did you want to get rid of Lee Johnson? So, I, you know, I, I, I keep going back to the, these managerial changes. And Lee is a highly respected young coach. I thought we had a guy who was a good representative for the club, a front man for the club, you know, highly respected in the game. Wouldn't surprise me a bit if he doesn't end up in the England setup one day. I'm not, not saying as a manager, but as a coach, because he's a very highly rated modern coach. OK, he's had his problems at Sunderland, but I expect he'll get Sunderland up this season and that'll enhance his CV again. Yeah. And and we'll be looking to, at him outside and think, well, what have we got? You know, and uh, we had an up and coming, improving young coach. You know, yeah. and, and that wasn't good enough for the fans. And, and finishing eighth wasn't good enough. Now they'd love to finish eighth. So it's, it's always when you've got to look at the bigger picture. Yeah, be careful what you yeah. wish for and exactly. stuff like that. Exactly. I mean, if you look at Nigel, he's you know he's younger than both of us. I think Nigel's 58, 59. Um, he's got Curtis underneath him. Could you see, and you've got a chief executive, Richard Gould, who we both agree is a step forward compared to the you know fingers in every pie, Mark Ashton. Could you see a situation where maybe Nigel steps up to a director of football type role and there is a another young up-and-coming coach comes underneath him if we get to the end of the season and he's still in charge yeah a I less stressful i sincerely hope not right. because i don't like directors of football i don't see the point of them and, yeah. and, and you know how do you get the balance right between the manager and the director of football we won't go back to 1998 John Ward in charge of Bristol City, they bring in a so say a director of football to work with him. That was the idea to, yeah. to work with him. As soon as John Ward knew what the responsibilities were, who's going to pick the team, who's going to determine the tactics, right? He's going to do that, so I'm off. It's as simple as that. And uh, the, and, and one of the big problems I keep going because I watched both clubs, but Bristol Rovers last season had this guy Tommy Widrington, uh, who was on their staff, and he would come in each time a manager changed and everything, and he was having huge influence on things, you know. Joey Barton comes in and at the first possible opportunity gets rid of him. Or, you know, he's, he's, he's not even at the club anymore, I don't think. And no. first of all, he'd, been, he'd been put in a different position. So you've got to be very lucky to have a director of football coach relationship that is, because in the end, who's making the decisions? Mm. And why would you pay two people to make decisions that one people could No, make? that's true. What about a director do it, but I or a, somebody running recruitment? Because intelligent scouting, you know, if you look, you know, we got fam from abroad. and we What's got two scout for? Yeah, Johnny, the chief scout runs the national the scouting network. You know, you have a chief scout; he runs the rest of the network. It seems, mm. seems to me perfectly. You know, you've got a lad called Rob Newman, who used to we used to watch play, who's now um, head recruitment at West Ham. Yeah, having done, having done a similar job at Manchester City. Yeah, you know, why are we not? Why did we not find a Rob Newman? You know, Lewis Lewis Carey. Why is Lewis Carey not working for Bristol City? He's at Southampton working. You know? Yeah. Well, one of the things that the fans love, and it's the reason Scott Murray is so popular, is because there's longevity. Everyone knows Scott, great lad, wonderful ambassador for the club. Let's have more of them, more than people. But doesn't that, doesn't, you know, but doing, don't people think it's the old boys' network? No, you know, of, no. no. Simpson and Downing. Who would they rather have, Simpson and Downing or Rob Newman and Lewis Carey? 
Oh, uh, no doubt about that. You know, I mean, the ones who remember. Um, but no, I, I don't think it's anything to do with that. It's, it's to do with whether they've got the talent, you know. And, mm. and Rob Newman has proved himself. Uh, uh, he, he's worked in a scouting network. He's been head of a scouting network. He was head of Manchester City's operation in Spain. He was head of it in France. Now he's got the best, big, the biggest job at, in, in scouting at West Ham under David Moyes. And you might say, well, David Moyes has done the old boys network appointing him. But Rob's CV... No, but he's got a track record now. Absolutely. Yeah. But wouldn't Nigel... But Nigel's got some that he could bring in, which is uh, Steve Steve Walsh, potentially. You know, do you think that's an addition that would benefit the club? Because Richard Gould is a chief executive. He's not a football man. He's a business lead. Yeah. Richard Gould's opinion on a player is probably no more informed than, dare I say, yours and mine in terms of what he would bring to the side, whereas... He, he would tell you that himself, which is fine. Um, so, yes, if, you, if it's talking about recruitment, but what I'm saying is make that man head of recruitment, not director of football. All right, head of, head of recruitment. And so, so, yeah, and the head of recruitment, should that person report into the manager or the chief exec? I mean, that's... Both. The, they, they, the, the head of recruitment, then, as I see it, should work. The manager should say who he wants, what position he wants filled. You want to find me one? I want this type of player to play in midfield. I want a Corey Smith. I want a Jerry Gow. I want a, you know, a, a tackler. Or I, or I want a, a fullback that can defend. Go and find me one. And then when they both, when they decide who it is, you go to the chief executive and say, here's the money involved. Can we do it? And the, yeah. and the chief executive either says yes or no. It's as simple as that. And he may go to the board um, to get an okay or, or nay about that. But that's the way the system should work. You know, there's too many people involved now. I mean, in the old days, you know, Terry Cooper would find a player Simple as that. I want to sign Alan Walsh. Can we afford Alan Walsh? Well, we go to the board. What can we afford? Okay, we can afford 20, 20 grand. And they're offering, they're asking 85. Tribunal says 18. Simple as that, because it's 18 less than 20, we sign him. And, and it's two people involved, the, the, you know, the chairman, or the, if, you want, if you want to bring in the director, yeah. the manager and the chairman. And that's the way the system used to work. Yeah. Head of recruitment, you've got another opinion, haven't you? What if, what if the head of recruitment says, yeah, this is the guy we want? And the manager thinks, well, not sure, you know, does he go, because he's the head of recruitment and he's appointed him, does he go by his opinion? In yeah. the end, the buck stops with the manager. Whoever you, whoever you sign, nobody turns around and says, it's Richard fault. That's interesting, the <laughs> buck stops with the manager. Going back, and this is in the relatively recent past, do you think, and you look at the number of signings that have been made by Bristol City, let's say over the last six years or so, do you think all the players that came through the door at Ashton Gate were... Lee Johnson signings 100% that he sanctioned them wholeheartedly or not, as some people say. You know, I, I think I think mostly they would have been his signing, maybe all. Well, I don't think it were his ideas were the sales. In fact, I absolutely know because he told me he didn't want to sell Adam Webster. He said the no. one player I don't want to sell is Adam Webster. And about three weeks later, they sold him. And then, and if I think this is true, which you'll agree that when Flint went, he said. I'll let Flint go if you get me Adam Webster, which was one well, of those... He was a great yeah. fan. Lee, Lee didn't think Adam Flint was a great player. Um, I, I, I thought he did a better job than maybe, maybe Lee did, but um, he wanted... He quite was happy to replace Aidan Flint as long as they did replace him. But with Webster... With Webster he knew very was... well with Webster. They couldn't replace Webster because he was up and coming at Ipswich. Yeah. We got him before anybody else really knew, knew well, about him. he came him. back after injury, didn't he? Because he had a bit of an injury record, so we well, got lucky he, with that. We were able to get him for a reasonable price. And it was showed by the and what do they make on him? About 17 million in profit they made on Adam Webster because they signed him for about 3 million, yeah. holding for 20. So he was a player that was on the up, and that's the sort of players I like Bristol Caesar's son. I don't really want 30-year-olds. No. And time and time and again, when they've been in a comfortable position, they've come up with this. The policy now is 
nobody who hasn't got a sell-on value. And then as soon as they're in trouble, all that goes out the window. And Naki Wells being a case in point. And therefore, some people were saying the other day, why didn't we sign Benic a phobie? There's two reasons there. A, he is injury prone. And B, he's in that 30 plus age bracket. And therefore, whilst he might be doing okay at Millwall at the moment, you know, I'm I'm not winding myself up about him not uh, him not being there. You talk about Corey Smith, a lack of, uh, or even a Josh Brownhill type of player. Surely Joe Williams is a combination of both of those, and he was a good signing, but that's just been so much bad luck. Because if you look at a fully fit midfield three of Joe Williams, Matty James, Masengo, and then somebody creative uh, alongside them, you know, that, that looks, that's the dream midfield, even with players that are on our books at the moment, isn't it? Who's been somebody creative alongside them? We haven't got one. Well, you could have Alex Scott. You haven't got you haven't got an Alan Walsh. You haven't got a, you no, know, you haven't. Okay, I'm talking about creators. What's your view on? Uh, your, we haven't talked about him. Uh, I'm not his greatest fan, but he's done quite well in some quarters, as some people say in recent weeks. Callum O'Dowder, you know, Northern Ireland international. This is his sixth season at the club. He's not had a breakthrough season yet. Would well, you retain? Would you retain him? Injury, injury has been the reason for that. I mean, Paul Callum's had a, had a lot of different injuries. I like him in the team because I think, along with Semenyo, he's he's one that will take on a player and go past him. And if you don't do, have somebody who can do that, you're playing in front of the opposition all the time. So yeah. you're playing pass across, pass across, pass across until you've got that one who upsets their defensive system by going past them. And Dada will do that. He'll take on a player and beat him. Then yeah. somebody else has to come across. That's fair. And then Semenyo is the same. You've got to have one of them at least and maybe more than one in the, in the side. So we've talked about the January window where we said, oh, we, we need a striker, which surely here's another way of looking at it. And again, I think we said this, the guys said this on the, the podcast a few weeks ago, that we got a problem, we ship too many goals and we don't have a, a playmaker in midfield. Surely if we were going to spend any money, if we signed a defender and a, I'll say it, a Tinian-esque type person, then we desisted with route one you could at least mix up, even if it was on a match day, a different combination from the Vyman, Martin, Semenyo, Wells combo up there. So instead of looking to bring in a goal scorer that there's no guarantee he's going to get 10 goals between now and the end of the season, why not start and try and put things further back? What do you think to that? It's, it's a point of view. I, I, I think that the reason things are pointed at the strikers is because Wyman's top scorer with nine goals and how many would you have said he was going to get at the start of the season maybe 15 would have been very good mm. um, Martin 12 you know 10 12 maybe and you can't have a successful team without a 20 goal striker or, no. or at least two or three players that are contributing 30 goals you know between us so two 15 goal strikers yeah. or, or or three you know when one gets 10 we've got nothing like that so what you're saying basically is we're weak defensively, we haven't got a creative midfield player, we haven't got a midfield tackler, and we haven't got a goal scorer. Yeah, so is, it, <laughs> is it any wonder <laughs> where they were they are in, a cha- in the championship? And I, and I still say I think they're doing better than I probably thought they would because with all those deficiencies, which are, can only be made up for in time, and next summer will obviously be, I don't, as I said, believe in wholesale changes in January unless you have to make them. I don't think they do. Yeah. Um, I would keep money in res- what money there is, and I don't think there's much in reserve for next summer when you get better value and and transform that or try and transform. And transfer. Yeah. So looking to the balance of the season, then Richard, just to sort of pull things uh, together by way of a conclusion, um, we sat there on 27 points. You know, we need 50, so we don't. We can do marginally 
uh, you know, marginally worse than we have done so far. Um, that means winning eight out of seven out of 23 games. Yeah. We're, we've just got enough fuel in the tank to do that, really, haven't we? Yeah. I would think so. But the quicker it's done, the better, because as soon as you get to that 50 points and you're safe, you can start planning ahead. You can't start planning ahead really until you've done that. And, um, you know, you say you should do it. Yes, they should. But a losing streak in the championship is easy to do it. Lee Johnson had a losing streak of eight games, didn't he, at one time, which put mm. huge, huge pressure on him. But Steve, Steve actually stuck by him at that point. But So you can get on a losing run in the championship very easily because it's so competitive and so many teams have got highly paid good, good players. So um, I don't think we can take it for granted that they're going to get 50 points. And I'm sure Nigel Pearson wouldn't, wouldn't look at it that way. And what he would look at, I'm sure, is if you do do seven wins, let's get those seven wins in the next... 15 games, not in the next 20 odd games, yeah. so that you can then say, right, now we, it doesn't matter, we're going to finish either 14th or 16th or whatever, but we're fine. Um, then you start thinking, now, right, I can play young, some other young players, I can try, are they any good? If they're not any good, we find out, and then we make changes in the summer. But I keep going back to the fact, don't expect them to spend big money, even no, though don't no, expect. I don't think they were. Um, finally, the youngsters. I mean, we start when I did these other half-season reviews. We looked at some of the positives. I mean, the fact that the likes of Tanner, Atkinson, Cameron Pring, um, Hanover, he's only twenty, Alex Scott, and um, Semenyo, Benarus. If we can keep in the championship, this does all augur well for the future doesn't it that you know they've got more game time and more experience do you think that get over this season and get into next season financial fair play issues aside do you see us as a mid-table championship for the next five years or do you think it's just going to be one long struggle uh, well the first thing is well we have all those players will we sell any of them uh, and again, with the financial position there is, if they got a big offer for Alex Scott, for example, they take it. Absolutely certain. Because there are certain offers Bristol City get over the years have improved. You cannot, they don't turn down. So if they got, in the, you know, 10 million or more or whatever for a, for a young player, as they did with Lloyd Kelly, where was Lloyd Kelly? Out the window straight away. So he, he's got yeah. no, nobody says then we, there's all this thing about we've got to produce our own players. We've got to produce our own players. And when we are producing our own players, the academy is doing well. If they play five games and then you sell them, then really all you're, all you're doing is that money gets sucked into the debts that you, you've got yeah. and your losses each year. So you've basically produced a player to reduce your debts. That's what you've done. Yeah. You know, you haven't produced a player to get you into the Premier League. Hmm. I want to ask you one question, which we've touched on in, uh, just to finish, sorry, uh, just, we touched on in the pod a few times. Steve Lansdowne, he's created the Bristol sport model now where he's got, he's got the infrastructure and he's got a championship football club, a premiership rugby club. He's got the women's football doing okay. Basketball, they're doing the new development down there. He talks about bringing investment into the club. Do you think it's totally dismissible that he could to attract? And he's talked about, there's been talk of new investment. Is it totally ludicrous idea to think that he could say to somebody, right, here's the football club. You can play in my stadium and the rental is this. If you do get to the Premier League, the rental multiplies by a factor of 10 i get my money back that way and it's almost like he he franchises out the football entity as a separate thing so it would be a debt-free football club if he just as likely i think it's just as likely to sell the club altogether and this way you say be careful what you wish for if bristol city was sold 
the chances of it being a foreign consortium taking over would be astronomical, huge, because that's what's happening in football at the moment. And we've seen mm -hmm. what happened with Cardiff. Suddenly their, their regime want Cardiff to play in red shirts because um, they've got no idea of the tradition of, of the place, you know. Um, and these consortiums take over, Chinese, you know, Asian, you know, Rovers have got a Jordanian family and how, how are they doing under them? Not very well. Yeah. Um, you know, um, Steve Lansdon is the sort of person I think that'll only be fully appreciated when he's gone. And I don't mean dead, I mean left gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's not going to go on forever. But what he, that bloke has done, you have to say without him, where would they be? And they'd probably be where Bristol Rovers are. That's, that's, what, that's my opinion, because they wouldn't have the facilities they've got with Steve Lansdon's money. They wouldn't. I mean, that, the club now, you go to that high performance centre, as they like to call it. I still call it the training ground. They don't like yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's basically the training ground. But it is a high performance centre in as much as the facilities there are unbelievable. I was shown around there the other day and I couldn't believe doors were open and says, this is where players can train, train at altitude. Another door was open. This is an ice room, the opposite to a sauna where you, you don't have an ice bath, you go in this ice room. Over the next one, there's sleeping pods for the players where they can go and put music on and 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 chill out. So they're sitting in a pod. You know, yeah. over another door, there's a hydrotherapy pool, the swimming pool, and everything the first team's got. Virtually, the academy's got separately and just and, yeah, and yeah. the same facility. So what they've built there is going to attract players over the years, eh? And it's a fantastic facility, unbelievable. And unless you went round it, you wouldn't believe what. Now, yes, they've got to have a team to go with it. But that is one area where people, players who are in two minds about joining clubs, will see those training facilities and will come to Bristol City. And that, I think, is more positive than the, than the young players. And Bristol is a lovely place because when people say it's a bit of an outpost, you know, that's just a, that's just ridiculous because, you know, if you're London-centric in terms of your social life, you know, after a match, you can be in London for dinner in the evening, you know. So, as you say, the facilities are now right and fit for purpose, fit for getting into the... Uh... It's always been the case today, but in all our times, I remember David Russi being chairman, and um, they were talking about investing in the ground, and all the fans were saying, we need players, we need a team, you know. And he famously said to me, Richard, you don't buy the canary until you've got the cage. And what he meant was, you've got to have the facilities first, yeah. and then you put the team in place. And going back, I mean, I, I thought it was a real weird way of putting it, but it, I understand what he means. <laughs> And if you look at it now, the facilities Bristol City got, the stadium is totally transformed to when we, you and I used to go around. I can't find my way around it anymore. I've been going there 40 odd years. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that is now a, a real plus that players will love to come and play at. This high performance centre is something you'll show players around and they go, wow, you know, state of the yeah. art, really a state yeah. of the art. Lovely pitches out there and everything. Even a little stand for watching women's games and, and academy games. Yeah, yeah. So it's a fantastic feature that, and, and 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 Steve's been responsible for all that. So when when people say to me, "Oh, Steve Lanza should do this, and he should have done that, and he should put more money in here, and he should do more that," I think to myself, "Yeah, well, you think well, Bristol City would be without him." And yeah. just, and and if you're honest, they could well be in the same position as Bristol Rovers, no training ground, because because even when they're in the first division, bear in mind, City players trained on the car park in Ashton again. They did. No, absolutely. There was no training ground. And that was when they were in what is now the Premier League. So yeah. to have these facilities now as a championship club, my, you talk about the future, consolidate in the championship again. We've, we've done it, had to do it several times. So yeah. give Pearson a chance if he's, his health is up to it and, and uh, let him build a team. Uh, but don't expect promotion next season. Expect another season of consolidation, hopefully progress. And yeah. let's get back to where we were when Lee Johnson was manager, which is knocking on the door of the playoffs. 
and that's that'll be a step forward and then take it from there but i still come back to the fact that as long as these parachute payments exist and as long as the fair play things exist bristol city are at a huge disadvantage at the moment in, 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 in against the likes of fulham norwich west brom you know so three of them and bournemouth and they're, they're going to come down and go back up again you're talking about playoff places only but you're talking yeah you're talking, about, you're talking about probably 12 clubs competing for three playoff places and one of those gets to the final being better on the day than a team that's probably got a hundred million pound more budget than they've got exactly. and that's it Blackpool did it. I mean, Adrian Holloway, didn't they? 2010, Blackpool, Blackpool somehow got into the Premier League. Yeah. Stayed there a couple of years where they were sensible was they didn't spend, they didn't spend a, a, a lot of money. Um, and uh, so they didn't come out of the league, Premier League, worse off than they went in, which so many clubs do because they've risked trying to stay there, you know. And that's what these parachute payments were designed to help was if a team that's obviously raised its, its contracts because they're going into the Premier League, suddenly loses Premier League status, and one or two of them, as Bristol City did in the 80s, slid down through, right through the leagues. But I still don't think parachute payments are fair. They pay no. for failure. You failed in, 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 in the league, and you get 150 million. Wow, fantastic. Yeah, I know. And if we got there, that would do a good day, a good way of repaying uh, Steve back some well, of that, the debt. That's why so many people try to get there. It's not yeah. about staying there, Dave. It's about getting there. Because yeah. once you get there... That's what, that's what you're on the end of, that sort of money, and TV money as well. You know, you're on the end of a fortune. Yeah, no, absolutely. Rich, that's been absolutely great. Here we go. It's the 90th minute, all your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you still the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? Our participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and time supply. See mcdonalds.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.